It is your podcast host with the most, Uncle Ben, and who is that man on the other end of that Skype call? Your podcast ghost with the most. Ah, <laughs> it's Halloween, Stephen Bradley. <laughs> is that so? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. That's pretty cool, man. <laughs> you know, uh, I... Um, my wife loves Halloween. I know uh, you and your your lovely wife love Halloween. We do. And I've always I've always enjoyed the season uh, and loved watching the horror movies. But I watch horror movies all the time. Um, but this this year I am actually for some reason really excited for Halloween. And I think it's because in LA we're in the middle of a middle of this uh, um, terrible terrible heat wave that uh, sucks a. a big fat asshole <laughs> it's like fucked up my sleep and like uh i don't know if you have any sinus issues oh, yeah. from like humidity and sinus pressure oh my gosh it's terrible my sinuses have been terrible uh so uh, if i sound a little um you know stuffed up that's that's what's going on just a little but uh, yeah october uh, out here is is when because uh, uh, it's interesting, August and September can still be extremely hot out here. Mm-hmm. Um, but October is when everything starts to get back to, like, just nice L.A. weather. So <laughs> I'm finding myself super excited for Halloween. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because actually over the past maybe week or so here in Tennessee, I'll, I'll mention to our listeners, we're recording this. Uh, what is this, like, first week of July as we record this right now, second week of July? Uh yeah, second week. Mm-hmm. And uh, but this will be released a little bit later on. But it's funny because mm-hmm. I've been having these pangs of of urging for Halloween here lately too. Because here in Tennessee, we've had kind of uh, several random days where the weather has felt like mid October. Like it, there's been like oh, super yeah. low humidity. It's been like mm-hmm. you know mid seventies or so. Clear blue yeah. skies. Like it just feels like halloween time here so lately i've just yeah. been like jonesing for halloween too so it's funny that you mentioned that although for completely different reasons yeah uh how yeah october in in east tennessee is amazing like god yeah it's beautiful. If, yeah i i never realized how spoiled i was because i grew up in that area and even when i lived in russia i actually lived in an area that was um uh, the Ural Mountains, they're they're kind of like the same sort of old type of mountains, like the Appalachian Mountains, and so they they had similar falls. And it wasn't until I moved out here that like I started to realize like, oh god, fall can be just hideous in other places. Mm. <laughs> like here, it's just brown and gross. Yeah, here in Tennessee, it's usually fucking beautiful. Usually, we got that really yeah. nice seasonal change of the colors and. You can open up the yeah. windows, but it's still yeah. kind of warm. It's not usually too cold. Um, it's always a fun time. Always a fun time. So I always really, really enjoy that season. What have you been? Uh, what have you been up to this week, Steve? You watched anything good on that on that television? Have I watched anything good on that television? Well, I have. I've watched uh-huh. a few good things. 
I watched oh, a few shit. good men. No, I didn't. I didn't right. watch a few good men. Um, uh, I don't know if uh, you've ever seen on uh, Hulu. They have a uh, an anthology horror type series called Dimension yeah. 404. Uh, it's good. There's like six episodes of it. It it actually it reminds. It's like a young adult adult uh, hmm. horror anthology. So it's it it's got a feel of Are You oh. Afraid of the Dark or Shit. something like that. But it's uh, but it's adult. So like it's uh, the stories aren't uh, dumbed down like kid style. So um, it's good. Patton Oswalt's oh, in an episode. That's rad. I'll definitely have to check that out. I also um. I watched Prom Night the, original? the other day. <laughs> I, oh, yeah. I think I mentioned that maybe last week. Yeah, I need to watch it. Original. I've never seen it. Um, it's good. It's on uh, Amazon, so worth checking out for sure. I also watched uh, a little film called A Field in England, which is I know that. so cool. So cool. Hmm. Check it out. What is it? That's on... That's on Shutter. It's directed by the person who did Kill List. Okay. It's uh black and white, and I would call it something like psychedelic black comedy horror. Damn, that sounds really interesting. It's a real fun. It's a fun uh film. That's cool, man. So I'd check that out. Uh what have you been watching there, Ben? Actually, a whole bunch of really, really, really cool stuff here recently. So tonight, actually, uh, my wife and I started watching the Stars adaptation of American Gods by Neil Gaiman. Yeah. And How you liking it? It's fucking rad. We sat there and watched like two episodes, and I think that it's fucking awesome. We've we've both read the book and loved it. Neil Gaiman's fucking awesome. I think that's one of his best books. Uh, I love the subject matter. I love mythology and stuff like that. So I thought the subject matter was really, really interesting. So I think the show has been super, super cool. Again, we're two episodes in. Um, Somebody told me, have have you watched it? I've seen the pilot or the the first one. And yeah, it's it's great. I uh, will be getting back to it soon. Have you read the book? Yes. Oh, it's so good, right? Yeah, Neil Gaiman. I, 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 have you read Norse mythology? No, but the I keep seeing it on the bookshelves, and I'm like, God, I need that. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, Damn. Uh, his, I, I love like he, he has the same like interest and in, like that sort of glee in mythology that I feel when I read mythology. Right. So reading his stuff is great. Damn it, I need to, I need to get that for sure. I, I like his stuff a lot, but. Somebody had told me that around maybe episode four or so, it starts taking, apparently it kind of strays away from the book a little bit around there. Um, so uh, I don't have a problem with that. Yeah, it's like <laughs> we said before. It's like, you know, books are yeah. books, movies are movies. Um, yeah, just have fun with it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, there, there are always those things in a book that's like, that's my favorite scene. I wanted to see that. Mm-hmm played out i actually don't ever really feel that way myself though because it's like i'd rather have it in my head the way i have it in my head if it's my favorite scene like no one's ruined it like true. what if what if they do your favorite scene but they do it in a way that like you just hate <laughs> like so sometimes maybe it's great that they skipped your favorite scene from the book kind of like what you're saying here is that your favorite part of a book that you've read is kind of like side boob where it's never really disappointing <laughs> <laughs> even even if it's a hairy man side boob exactly. it's like oh, I'm, I'm, all right okay all right, all right. 
but the American Gods series, I think, has been really cool so far. I've seen some criticism about it um, from people, but I think it's people that probably haven't read the book or maybe haven't read anything else of Neil Gaiman's because his stuff has... It just has that Neil Gaiman flavor, you know, where it's like... Mm-hmm. It'll be dark and mysterious and fantastical, but also somewhat whimsical and and but yeah funny like weird stuff yeah uh, have you ever read his uh marvel 1602 yes it's so fucking sick dude yes yeah. 1602 is great in the way that he deals with uh uh the peter parker like analog 1602 analog uh is is really funny and like whimsical and like meta and and weird but like it's a overall it's a pretty sort of serious story and speaking of peter peter parker we went and saw the new spider-man last week oh i thought you were gonna say speaking of peter parker my gay porn name (laughs) (laughs) have you seen the new spider-man yet though no i haven't i i would love to see it it uh i'm big fan of the marvel cinematic universe and it looks great, and I love that the kid playing Spider-Man. He, He's perfect. He is the best Peter Parker, the best Spider-Man that we have had by a mile. Kid is fucking born yep. to play that role. He is badass. I kind of feel like I'm watching like Mark Bagley era, you know, Peter Parker on screen. It's yeah. fucking great. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a few things in there, like there's a few casting choices I guess I could sit here and get mad about. But they're done so mm. well that I'm fine with it. Like, well, obviously, like Marissa Tomei is Aunt May. Yeah, yeah, I I love Marissa Tomei, so I don't have a huge problem with that. But she doesn't fit the comic book character. She is more uh, young and vibrant. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you know what though is it's pretty cool in the movie the way that they play it because like again, like you said, she is nothing like Aunt May from the comic book. She's not an old decrepit. Yeah you know old lady and stuff like this she is a um you know younger uh hot old lady i guess you could say a cougar of sorts a cougar of sorts but you know what is cool about that is they were very self-aware about it and yeah one thing that that is kind of cool to see in the movie that you just don't really see a lot in in like hollywood flicks is you don't really see a lot of older ladies portrayed as hot you know what i mean yeah and I, I was going to say, actually, I was thinking like, like the the thinking behind that probably has to be, well, Aunt May in the comics looks like a 90 year old woman. Yeah. And there's no way Peter Parker's aunt is, is a 90 year old woman. Yeah. Like, even if it's a great aunt, that just seems too far out there. Uh, your aunt is usually going to look like Marissa Tomei when you're a teenage boy. I mean, if she's, you know. Uh, if she isn't attractively, yeah, perhaps she won't look like Marissa Tomei, and that's cool. I know mine doesn't. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but you know, it, it's cool though because like so much in 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 Hollywood, it's like you know, the minute that uh, a female crosses the age line of forty, it's like she's not allowed to be hot anymore. Um, yeah, but that's it's cool ridiculous. to see her in this. It, it's cool to see her in this movie where, you know, she is. I think she's around 50 ish. She looks good. Oh, she's fantastic and just a wonderful actress. Let's get let's get real pervy right now. She looks good. She looks good. But it's just cool to see that they're like making it okay with her being hot. So I think that that's a cool thing. But just overall, the movie man, it has like that teenage high school vibe that all the other Spider-Man movies have completely lacked. Like a lot of the actors yeah. and actresses in, in the movie 
are really young. They look like teenagers. Yeah. You feel like you're in high school. It's not, you know, a bunch of 30-year-olds playing high school seniors in a movie like they usually do in movies. Um, it's really fun. Great balance of wit. It takes some twists and turns that genuinely, like, shut the theater down. Like, in terms, you know. Really? Oh, my God, dude. There's, and I won't spoil huh. anything, but there's some stuff that happens throughout the movie and some scenes that are just unbelievably tense where it's like you could have heard a pin drop in the theater really really well done that's awesome. i i had a blast and and even like uh my wife like hates spider-man she's hated all the spider-man movies and cartoons and all that stuff and even she really really huh. enjoyed the movie so that says something wow so you're saying this this film gave her a soul finally it, it did it finally finally did so i really enjoyed that i recommend watching it my wife also hates spider-man i think there's a good reason for that mm. uh like i don't think spider-man has ever um in the comics at least uh, while we were growing up it never really portrayed female characters exactly well they were always just something like uh, uh, an object that's that true. spider-man had to save that's true uh and like the fact is like spider-man 2 which I've always thought that's a great uh, comic book movie my wife doesn't love. And as I was thinking about it, it was like, oh, that makes sense. Because really the entire impetus in Spider-Man 2, his whole thing where he's worried about being discovered as Peter Parker is Spider-Man is he's worried that his possession, Mary Jane, is going to get taken from him. Like he's, right. he's constantly protecting the women in his life. Uh, instead of the women in his life having a lot of like, uh, you know, uh, agency and authority of their own. I just really hated that the way that Kirsten Dunst played her eyes made her look like Mary Jane smoked pot. I mean, Mary Jane smoking pot. I mean, it's just too on the nose. And she just looks stoned all the time. I didn't like that. <laughs> I didn't think about that at all. <laughs> wow. Why? That's so weird and like strangely innocent in my head that I've never thought of Mary Jane and marijuana in the same. That's weird. Hey, Kirsten wow, that's Dunst awesome. is clearly stoned all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I watched another, another flick this week, Stephen, by the name of what it was tales from the dark side the movie well uh, <laughs> that's such a coincidence ben because i also watched that and i want to talk about we it we should do a podcast about it okay are you here are you gonna hit record <laughs> go <laughs> <laughs> this is how we talk when we're not recording it actually kind of is <laughs> yeah <laughs> the moment you pick up the skype call it's like, hello, dead and lovely listener. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's just how I answer the phone all the time. Yeah. So is this the first time that you've watched this flick, Steve? No, no. I've seen this movie a, a ton of times. Um, 2,000 pounds of times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, all right. So what is the weight of time? Let's figure this out. <laughs> so, all right, let's let's get the subreddit. They did the math on this. What is the weight of time? Yeah. And how much time would fill 2,000 pounds worth? Yeah. And if this movie being an hour and 20 something minutes long, what would its weight be to equivalent to being a ton of movie? I'm I'm going to guess it's somewhere around like a 10 times. I've, I've probably seen it about 10 times. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think this is my third time watching it. Yeah, it's a movie that used to come on a lot. I think on um, on USA maybe or something like that. Because, um, I mean, it's it's not a... This isn't a movie that has, like, 
real uh strong sexual content or anything um and just you know some slight uh removals of fucks and and it's easy to toss it on tv so um it used to be played pretty regularly i think which is interesting because uh i know in at least in, in my area in east tennessee i don't remember tales from the dark side the show no. coming on uh-huh. ever no me neither like so the movie played pretty often but the show was was kind of absent right uh ben i hear that uh you love horror anthology series and you've seen them all is that right that is fake news steve that's fucking fake news that is the that is the liberal media spinning things on me that are not true Mm -mm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i've never seen any of them steve this is actually a an area of my Again, of my horror movie watching, which, as I've mentioned, is a, uh, a late-in-life obsession. Um, the horror anthology kind of thing is something that I have definitely missed out on. There's there's a few you know movies that I've seen, like like a creep show and a VHS and stuff like this. Yeah. But all of the cool sort of serial TV series yeah. and stuff like this, I've not really watched. I've watched like... Man, we watched a season of American Horror Story and it was fucking shot. It sucked and you didn't see it did, did you see the first one or did you just watch a random season we watched the one that was about witches i think it's the third one mm. yeah just watch the first one and then be done with it okay but um the first season is amazing like it's it's so good so d- um, despite what you would hear about me i have actually not seen very many of these anthology horror series but maybe if i had Perhaps a good friend to recommend me some to check out. Maybe he could sort of twist my arm, maybe into becoming a real boy and watching some. I don't. I don't know. Do you know of anybody <laughs> who could lead me towards that, Steve? Now I I have heard Ben, and uh, let me check my source here. Yeah, no, it was me earlier in a text. I have heard that you are an immortal, and that if you watch a horror anthology series, it will actually uh, make you experience mortality. And make you killable for a brief moment, much like the dragon grin shout in Skyrim. Well, it's a good thing that I'm wearing my suit of mithril armor right now, because I'm gonna if I'm gonna learn about these anthologies, oh, okay. I need okay. to be in All an right. invulnerable All right. state. <laughs> Alright, so okay, let me go ahead and and, uh, and lecture you for a bit here. Uh <laughs> hang on. And hang, listeners are like Hang on one second, let me tighten up my mithril. Check this out. Alright, alright. Yeah, that was okay. that was me tightening my mithril. Okay, and uh, we all know mithril really s- will save your ass if someone uh, is is coming at you with a horror anthology series. Yeah, exactly. So, um, listeners will already be like, uh, "Oh fuck, this is a Stephen heavy episode." Uh, <laughs> so they're going crazy. They're like, "Yes, <laughs> he's the fucking intercontinental champ." Yeah. Um. <laughs> You've seen a few of these, huh? I've seen I've seen tons of them. Um, here's the thing, though, just in general about horror anthology, is that horror has always been a, a, a great genre for anthology. Uh, and the one way to think of that is, uh, for, think of horror short story. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the time, those short stories would appear in anthology magazines mm-hmm. that would package together these these sort of, uh, you know, different various horror uh, stories that rarely had anything to do with one another. 
but would sometimes be held together with this frame narrative. Uh, like H.P. Lovecraft's happened. Cthulhu mythos and so on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and even going back, you know, uh, if you look at like uh, Edgar Allan Poe and Nathaniel Hawthorne and, and writers back then, a lot of their stuff came out in short stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and those short stories would uh, appear in like weekly literary magazines and stuff. And, and then later comic books would you know would pick up the slack with uh, a lot of horror titles like tales from the crypt and vault of horror and, and stuff like that so it was it's almost natural that uh horror would sort of take on this anthology uh, genre mm-hmm. and it i think one of the main reasons is because uh we've seen a lot of horror movies a lot of times in a horror movie, the story is really only good and tense for about 20 to 40 minutes. True. And so there's a lot of filler, a lot of padding. But with an anthology series, what you get to do is cut out the filler. You get to, for 22 minutes on television, you get to just show the tension. You get to show the what's scary what's what's horrific what is it that's driving this horror Mm -hmm. just Um, the meaty bits yeah the meaty bits and so we've had we've had series around since the earliest days of television it's kind of like the lucky charms just marshmallows or the the captain crunch just berries (laughs) yeah they they were like oops we pulled the the horror lever (laughs) And it filled up your television screen. Alfred Hitchcock presents uh, the Twilight Zone, Outer Limits. Those are all like well-known um, anthology series from back in the day. Mm-hmm. And really, only Alfred, only Alfred Hitchcock presents is is purely horror because Twilight Zone and Outer Limits uh, would sci-fi. incorporate a lot of like sci-fi, which is fine. I mean, I don't think sci-fi and horror are that far apart, and a lot of times can be easily mashed together. Event Horizon. Um, yeah, exactly. Event Horizon or uh, Alien. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, like anything like that. Um, and some of those old ones I actually did watch quite a bit of whenever I was uh, I was a kinder kid growing up. There used to be some channel that would show uh, Alfred Hitchcock, you know, reruns and yeah. stuff. And they would show some of the Twilight Zone stuff. So I watched some of that. I, I think I probably watched the most of the Alfred Hitchcock ones. I think that was actually probably some of my earliest exposure to anything kind of horror related you know and little ben little ben was just like oh this is titillating this makes my bowl cut tingle (laughs) (laughs) speaking of bowl cuts bill gates jr get me with go now get over there son what what kind of whiskey (laughs) is he bringing you tonight uh evil evan williams pretty consistent sipper for me i'm on board that's a good old cheapo man i had as a birthday gift from my father-in-law he got me a bottle of the elijah craig small batch oh, yeah Fuck. that's awesome it is awesome that's what i was having earlier tonight it was so good <laughs> it's so delicious so why don't you go ahead and start trying to twist my arm into watching some of this bullshit that you're saying i i don't fucking believe any of it's going to be any damn good so you better fucking sell me on it all right look i have i have three series that are going to sway you into uh you know, the right way, Mm-mm. the truth, the life, Jesus Christ. Mm-mm. That's what we're talking Mm-mm. about here today. The power of anthology mm-hmm. shan't not compel me. 
Who Babakanda? Who Babakanda? <laughs> yes, Lord, yes. <laughs> so, but here are my recommendations, and I'm going to start with the one that I, I know will win you over mm. and then move a little sillier and a little sillier. All right, okay. hit me with your best shot. Fire away. Masters of Horror. Masters of Horror. Okay, now I have seen just a few of these through exposure from my man Brandon Suttles, mm-hmm. who we've talked about a couple times on this podcast. Yeah. What's up, Brandon? Uh, he showed me several of his favorite episodes of those and i'm i get them mixed up because i think at the same time we were watching like three extremes and stuff like that too so which is another horror anthology movie yeah um so i think i have some of them mixed up but i think i've watched a few of them okay so is the whole series good um uh, okay well it's it's only two seasons you're only dealing with about 20 something episodes i think every one of them is worth watching for sure the majority of them are really good. Am I going to be seeing glitz and glamour, flash and panache? Well, let me just tell you, who, here are some of the directors from the Masters of Horror series. Toby Hooper, director of uh, Texas Chainsaw All right, Master. all right. I've, I've heard of him. I've heard Dario of him. Dario Argento, oh, it's uh, got, Space Alien. It's got the Argents, that space vampire uh-huh. Dario Argento. Uh-huh. Uh, Joe Dante, director of The Howling, uh, uh, Gremlins, etc. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good stuff. Uh, Lucky McKee, one of my uh, favorite newer directors who directed uh, The Woman and May and a ton of other good stuff. Uh, Takashi Mike. Oh, yes. Who directed the famously directed the episode called Imprint, which Showtime refused to show because they said it was too disgusting. I think that that's maybe one of the ones that Brandon showed me because Brandon's a huge Takashi fan. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of Takashi, if you guys want to hear our take on Takashi, go back and listen to our audition episode. Rate and review us on iTunes. Audition is actually a really great episode. So go back and listen to it. Let me tell you some of our bad episodes. (laughs) Oh, wait. We don't have them. Zero. All right. Woo! (laughs) Woo! Um... Anyway, oh, and also one of my favorite directors, John Carpenter. Oh, sick. So, um, check out Cigarette Burns, which is directed by John Carpenter. Uh, stars Norman Reedus, mm. and it's weird as fuck. All right, I'm into it. You're you're starting to coerce me here. I might give this the old college yeah. try. Now, number two, Ben. Come on, now this one is a little bit wackier. A little bit sillier sometimes. I like things that are silly. I like things that are nice, though. All in all, fucking awesome. Tales from the Crypt. (laughs) Now, Tales from the Crypt, I always remember seeing advertisements for in, like, Wizard Magazine and on the backs of some of my comics Uh and stuff like this. But, of course, I was absolutely verboten from watching that as a kid. That Now, that had the old Crypt Keeper fella, right? It did. It did. It had the Crypt Keeper who, uh, okay, Tales from the Crypt actually, you know, comes from the EC comics, Tales from the Crypt, and then there were a bunch of other, like, horror titles Mm -hmm. that were, um, turned into horror anthologies, uh, in England, um, by, oh, I can't remember the name of the company, uh, but there is a Tales from the Crypt anthology from 76 or so. Okay which uh is good it's well worth watching but they're they're not exactly fully connected 
the Crypt Keeper is uh, more comical and he he always has a little bit of a pun to go with uh, each of the stories. So there's that fun. And then it, it also sometimes has a more campy quality, but okay. it it does have some really good, serious, like brutal episodes mm. directed by some really good people. And it has an opening theme by Danny Elfman that will be stuck in your head the rest of your oh, life. Oh, shit. That's not bad. Yeah. Um, some of the episodes were directed by uh, Tom Holland, who did Fright Nights. Mm. Uh, Mary Lambert, who did uh, uh, Pet Cemetery. Richard Donner, uh, who we all know. Robert Zemeckis, mm. also big deal. Yeah. Uh, episodes were also directed by Arnold Schwarzenegger. What? <laughs> who... Yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger directed the episode, and he was he was in that episode. Um, anybody you can think of from from the '90s, like early to mid '90s, who could have been in a television show was in Tales from the Crypt. Like everybody was in it. Right. And yeah, I always understood that had a pretty a pretty stacked cast. Yeah, and this is the thing is that sometimes they were big actors already, like Arnold Schwarzenegger. A lot of times, though, they were uh up and coming actors who maybe this was their first role um and this is the interesting thing that i really love about horror anthology series is that you'll see this uh throughout if you go back to the twilight zone and stuff like that you'll see that what happens is because tv is considered cheap is considered throwaway they they a lot of times don't go for the big names they go for value mm-hmm. they go for the guy who uh, comes in and has a good audition or the actress who uh, obviously gets the role. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you get some good acting, but also sometimes you get some shit acting. Okay. But one episode I can recommend that is uh, Tim Roth pre-Reservoir Dogs. Oh! And we'll show you that Tim Roth has always been fucking awesome. Really? He's an episode called Easel Kill Ya, and he plays an artist who uh, has a very morbid discovery that is fucking awesome. That sounds pretty cool. Now, I'm getting I'm getting kind of interested in this. I think it's on Shudder, isn't it? Um, I don't think Tales from the Crypt is on Shudder. Okay. You know what? I'm recommending Tales from the Crypt to you, and I'm not even sure if it's anywhere for streaming. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway... Uh, I also recommend an episode called Abracadaver, which has Bo Bridges in it, and has a it's really unique. Like it it'll stick with you for a long time. I remember having nightmares about it as a child. I mean, that sounds pretty good. I'm getting kind of interested <laughs> in this stuff, Steve. I, I might start feeling a little bit vulnerable, a little bit like a mortal. Yeah, yeah. And as you do this, I'm positioning my rogue behind you <gasps> to stab you in the back. Oh, I gotta tighten up my mithril. Now this, listen, Ben, this third one, this is not, I'm not doing this just because it's a good transition. Steven, I'm, I'm doing it. You, no, I'm not interested. I do not want to see this. Tales from the dark side, Ben. God damn. You're going to watch it and you're going to like it. <laughs> I walked right into it. Shit. <laughs> All right. So Tales from the dark side is the product of George Romero's creep show. Um, which is a great horror anthology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've seen it. It's it's awesome. I love the second one, too. The second one's awesome. Yes, they're both great. Guess what? 
Tales from the Dark Side is the Creep Show television show. Why didn't they call it Creep Show? Because Warner Brothers had to write the Creep Show, and the people that wanted to make the television show didn't want to work with Warner Brothers. So um, they just gave it a different title huh. and went with the same sort of idea of using really good horror short stories, giving them life. Hmm. Um, so you get, in Tales from the Dark Side, there are episodes that are based on short stories by Stephen King. There are a number of those. I've heard of him. An episode uh, co-written by George Romero. Mm -hmm. uh, episodes based on short stories by Clive Barker and Harlan Ellison. Ooh. And um, uh, novelist Michael McDowell, who wrote two of the segments in the movie that we'll talk about later. Um, and this show, this is interesting because you see this transition. I like... <laughs> I'm going to get maybe super boring right now, but I love TV and I, I, I really study like the people involved at the production. I always have. I've always watched the credits to my favorite shows. Who's your favorite grip, Steve? Oh man. My favorite grip, Kerry Snodgrass. <laughs> that guy knows. <laughs> he knows how to grip boy. <laughs> um, anyway, so I've paid attention to producers' names, directors' names, et cetera, throughout in television. And for a long time, that wasn't important to anybody. Like, nobody could, television was throwaway shit. Because right. there, were, there were six channels you could choose from. You watch what we give you. Yeah. Like, the end. It's not really competition, even at that point. Yeah. That's why back then, 22 million people are tuning in to watch a show that you watch now. And you're like, this is fucking terrible. Yeah. This is like terrible um so the this anthology series is before tales from the crypt it's uh it, it comes before the revival of twilight zone that happened in the mid 80s it, it comes at a time when television is is still just throwaway shit and nobody's really thinking of it as art and so all of these people are getting a chance to direct that wouldn't have got a chance otherwise so there are several episodes directed by Tom Savini. Oh. Uh, an episode directed by Jodie Foster. An episode directed by Bob Balaban. Uh, an episode directed by the director of the movie. There are actually eight episodes directed by the director of the movie, John Harrison, who before this was really just, he did some music videos, mm -hmm. and he was an assistant director to George Romero. Dang, dude. This, they got some damn qualified personnel on staff here. Yeah, so this is like, they're, they're taking... Um, you know, they're taking short stories that they know are going to work because they know people like them and then they're just putting them on TV. And there's so many, like, so many actors that, uh, you know, either got their start or were, like, early on in Tales from the Dark Side. Christian Slater, who's in the movie, was, uh, in an episode called, um, uh, A Case of the Stubborns, which is great. <laughs> Man, that sound, that sound corny. It, it will remind, I don't know if you've ever seen, what was that uh, Dan Aykroyd direct, like that Dan Aykroyd Chevy Chase movie where there were a lot of prosthetics. You know what I'm talking about? Oh. It was really gross. Ah, I can't remember. My wife would smack me because she talks about that movie sometimes and it, it's disgusting. Anyway, uh, it looks like that, like the prosthetics are kind of disgusting, but like intentionally so huh. and like uh, Christian Slater is... Christian Slater like as a, as a young kid and, and it's like it's interesting because Christian Slater is a very charming guy he has this 
automatically charming face. Yeah. But like, it's almost like every line he's just smiling. Like I'm on TV. <laughs> like, <laughs> Look at me now. Yeah, but it also has uh uh. You know, like, there's so many great episodes with great actors in them. Uh, one of the episodes I would recommend highly is Halloween Candy, which is directed by Tom Savini. I mean, you have me at Savini, you know? Yeah. The the um, the makeup effects are great. Obviously. It gets real weird. It gets real strange. And also, it's a Halloween tale, so that's fun. I mean, you're, you're um, saying a lot of things that I like. You're saying Savini, and you're saying Halloween, and you're saying weird. The last one I'm going to recommend, though, is, is, is super weird and gross, and the makeup effects are amazing, and it's co-written by George Romero, and it stars William Hickey, who is the guy with the disgusting voice from the movie we watched today. Oh, yeah. Uh, and... It's it's weird as hell. It's called The Circus. It's so weird. <laughs> I highly re- recommend checking out uh, Tales from the Dark Side. It's on Shudder, all four seasons. I think a few episodes aren't in there for some reason. Okay. Not sure why, but it, it's it's great. Like it's it's one of those that uh, because it has '80s production value, te- '80s television production values. It's one of those to turn on and maybe do something else while it's on. Right. Maybe just look look over every once in a while, uh, and you'll see some great makeup effects. Um, but the the stories are great. The acting is good. The directing is good. It, it's it's such a good horror anthology series. You've got me. I've got to admit, Steve. Stab him in the heart, Frodo. No, no, no. <laughs> you've 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 got me. A little bit, a little bit interested. You may have softened my cold, cold black Nordic heart in, mm-hmm. into perhaps mm-hmm. wanting to check out a horror anthology series on the television. Um, you you may <laughs> have just gotten me. You may have just sold me. You know what, guys? I'm gonna I'm gonna reveal a little truth. So, I don't think it was that hard. I feel like Ben may have wanted to watch him anyway. Oh, you can't. Oh, maybe. Ah. <laughs> and then he died. <laughs> R.I.P. <laughs> so let's talk about this damn movie. This damn movie. This damn Tales from the Dark Stuff, whatever it is. Tales from the Dark Stuff. So I watched this movie for the first time a couple of years ago, and I had seen it on. You know, I'd seen the title on Netflix, and I didn't know anything about it, and I just assumed it was probably some cheesy, you know, corny, cheap horror sort of thing. So I watched kind of every other, you know, halfway decent horror flick they had on Netflix at the time. And then one day, one night, I was at the bottom of the barrel, and I was like, well, <laughs> all Just right. scraping around. Yeah, exactly, just dredging. And I was like, all right, let's go ahead and, let's go ahead and check this out. And um, I was, I was very impressed maybe because i went in with with zero expectations or whatever but i had a blast watching this movie and i've watched it another time since then and then i watched it again before we did our podcast here so yeah not my first time but still a pretty recently new movie to me it's just a i like i really like it it's fun it's unpretentious it has good makeup effects, has uh, interesting directorial choices, especially in the uh, the Cat from Hell segment. Mm-hmm. 
Um, the casting is is really cool. Like Debbie Harry's in it. Um, the cast is you know, stacked. There are so yeah. many fantastic actors and actresses yeah. in this movie. Steve Buscemi, Julianne Moore, like a ton of people. Ray Don Chong, the gargoyle. Yeah, <laughs> and the gargoyle. Oh man, what a career that gargoyle had. There are three tales in this. Uh, they're based on short stories. Uh, one loosely, more loosely based on a short story, but uh, lot number two forty nine is based on a short story by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Oh, okay, um, that makes sense because that one does have more of an old timey kind of feel yeah, about it. And I want, yeah, I want to talk about that because there's some interesting. It's it's a little uneven. Steven, I re- I refuse. Moving on. Oh, okay. Cat from Hell, directed, uh, which was written uh, a short story by Stephen King, though I read he, he like wrote the introduction to the story for a magazine and then had uh, readers submit what they think should happen, and then he finished the story. So that's Whoa. interesting. Yeah. And then uh, Lover's Vow, which is based on Lafcadio Hearn's version of the traditional Japanese tale of the yaki ona you don't so, say i think i had one of those for yeah. lunch yesterday yeah they're delicious a yaki ona mm. <laughs> and With the, a little fudge <laughs> oh yeah well, maybe a lot <laughs> and they're all all three of these stories are bound together by a framing device which is one of those things that like i love in a lot of these old school mm-hmm. horror movies i really love the uh, the framing device that a lot of these anthologies have, where there's sort of a central yeah. storyline that sort of weaves in and out, that puts the whole thing together. And in this case, the the framing device is a story about a young boy who has been captured by the singer of Blondie, who wants to cook cook him <laughs> in an oven, and uh, and eat him. And basically, he's given a book of of tales from the dark side. And he's like, no, wait, don't cook me. I just read this story, and I'm going to tell you about it. And she's like, okay, I'm yeah. chopping carrots, and I got a heart of glass yeah. and stuff like that. So Yeah. She's like, you know, call me on the telephone, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, yeah I don't know. Like, is she, does she have a character name, or is she playing Debbie Harry? I don't know, but there's a lot <laughs> of interesting <laughs> stuff about that because, you know, I only really noticed it this time through, but... You know, at the first of the movie, it shows her, like, driving through the town, and she's, like, waving yeah. hi to the priest and stuff like this, and then... Yeah, she's she's this interesting suburban witch. It's like, everybody knows her. Yeah, and then she's, like, on the phone with her friends and stuff, being like, oh, yeah, bring champagne, come over for dinner. So I guess mm-hmm. she has a whole bunch of friends that were planning on eating a kid that night. Well, I mean, it's Hollywood, Ben. Ah, they do that you know. kind of thing. Yeah, they. <laughs> Not me. Oh. Um... Anyway, uh, kids, delicious. So, <laughs> moving the, on. The the kid is uh, Matthew Lawrence. Whoa, whoa, brother of Joey Lawrence. Mm-hmm. So the the first tale kicks off like he he has this book that is called Tales from the Dark Side that she said was her favorite book as a child, and so he's trying to like you know delay being cooked. To be eaten by the Hollywood elite and Debbie Harry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and he starts telling her this story, which is called Lot 249. And it's uh, like the basic tale of Lot 249 is a guy gets a mummy and uses it to get revenge on the people who have wronged him. Right. 
yeah, the real tale of Lot 249, though, is, as you texted me the other day, that Steve Buscemi is a reverse vampire. Yes, this is something that is well known, because Steve yeah. Buscemi has actually never looked young. No, he's never looked young. He's always looked the exact same, and that's why it's actually, I like, really perfect casting in this, this role, because... The thing is that Christian Slater, uh, Robert Sedgwick, and, and Julianne Moore, they're in a modern world. Like, whenever you see them in this, uh, this segment of the movie, they're in this modern world. Every time it shows Steve Buscemi, he's, he, it's like, he's in a Victorian world. Like, he, he lives, they even refer to his, his place where he stays as his rooms. Like he's Sherlock Holmes or something. Yeah. Like <laughs> my rooms. Your fucking apartment. It's your apartment. That's what it's called. It's called an apartment. I wonder with um, Steve Buscemi if there's sort of like a like an inverted Dorian Gray scenario going on somewhere where he's he has this portrait <laughs> that is just like young and beautiful. <laughs> like uh-huh. he looks from the portrait to himself in the mirror and he's like, yeah. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, unlike Dorian Gray, he lives this super virtuous life, and no matter what he does, he doesn't look any better, but his portrait always looks great. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I'm just doing this shit wrong. I can't figure it out. All right, now let's let's be fair. This is a 9-11 hero. I don't know if you know this, but uh, he uh, was a firefighter when he lived in New York, and then after 9-11, went back to his old um, fire department and volunteered for like uh, a number of days straight doing 12 hour shifts Jesus helping to sort through the rubble so um, that's badass not not only is he an amazing actor great comedic actor also great director he's directed a ton of great television including an episode of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt um, damn he's also great guy so way to go I mean talk about a guy that has played a countless number of unforgettable fucking characters dude he is the yeah. shit, man. Scroll through his IMDb and it's just like, wait, what? <laughs> like, it's just constant. He is constantly working and in so much good stuff. There's also a um, great, like, you know, like Tumblr feed or something that you can find of, like, um, other people, especially actresses with Steve Buscemi's eyes photoshopped onto them. <laughs> it is the best. <laughs> it's the best, dude. So uh, Christian Slater's in this, and this is early in his career. This is um, after Heather's, but before like Pump Up the Volume and Young Guns 2 and stuff. Uh, this is a period where like Christian Slater, you know, was an it boy. You know, mm-hmm. like he he was getting a ton of great roles. Um, Christian Slater is awesome. Shit, yeah, he is. <laughs> true, he, like He's... true romance, dude. That's all you gotta know. Yeah, but I'm gonna say in the opening when uh there's this sort of long tracking shot of him and robert cedric i don't i don't really know their names i think andy and um lee um they're walking and they're sort of doing the exposition setting up the fact that lee got this uh prestigious fellowship so he can go travel europe by cheating and having his girlfriend julianne moore write his essay mm-hmm. and julianne moore also in order to make sure he got the fellowship, stole something from the museum and made it look like um, Bellingham is the uh, Victorian character <laughs> with the 
His name is Belling. Like they call him Bellingham. They, like seriously, if you read this short story, uh, I I don't even know how this is an adaptation. Like it, I guess it's an adaptation because you took it from short story format and put it in screenplay format. But like, it, it's basically just the short story with a different ending tacked on. Huh. Um, it, but the thing is that the the way that the characters speak, other than Bellingham is all modern totally. and uh they're always doing like interesting modern things like you know eating cool ranch doritos and <laughs> watching a <laughs> basketball game or whatever playing nba um, jam and stuff like that yeah while Bellingham is off you know practicing his calligraphy or whatever <laughs> it is he's doing um he's on angel fire and shit yeah <laughs> just like they were in the 1890s <laughs> angel fire and so he's a, he's a curator of sorts and he gets this he gets this uh, sarcophagus he gets this mummy right yeah and um we get a ton of like bellingham being a prick uh, about shit he knows about mummies and stuff yeah. <laughs> it's it's like whatever uh but then there's a there's a scroll and the scroll um like awakens the mummy or whatever, right? Yeah, he says he can't read it at the time, but later when he's alone, he le- he reads it. It awakens the mummy. The mummy goes to Lee's place and uh, removes his brain with the coat hanger. <laughs> there's like a, I don't know, like there's a lot of comedy in this movie, and I I think one of the things that's really comedic is the shot where the mummy is in Lee's apartment. And we get a shot of the mummy, like, with his back to a bookcase, like he's hiding behind the bookcase, and he's, like, disassembling a coat hanger. <laughs> Let me just untwist this like, here. Uh, I should do that, right? Yeah, like, how would a mummy know what the fuck a coat hanger is? <laughs> but, I, whatever. That's funny. It's because that mummy in life was an abortion doctor. Mm. Oh, mm. shit, y'all. Mm. You got a fun Planned Parenthood. Mm. Hey, Texas. How's defunding Planned Parenthood going for you? You had higher teen pregnancies than the rest of the country. Yeah, you fucking did. And more abortions. Fucking stupid. They had more abortions. It's so stupid. You defund Planned Parenthood and you get more abortions. You dumb fucks. Fucking idiots, man. You know, ah, it it pisses me off, dude. So bad. Fucking fund Planned Parenthood people. Yeah, for for real. There are other reasons. Yeah. To fund Planned Parenthood. Keep these mummies from doing back alley abortions with coat hangers. That's what I've been talking about. Now, Ben, I actually wanted to talk about this. Mummies, scary? I mean, okay, I've never met one, so I don't (laughs) know, but I'll put it this way. You know, I only realized how scary zombies could really be when I attended my first, like, open casket funeral, which is a thing that is weirdly common in the South. Yeah, no, every funeral I've ever been to is open casket. Yeah, Yeah, and whenever you go there and you're, like, standing next to a dead body that's laying there asleep, it just really dawned on me how fucking scary it would be if that thing sat up. So, in a way, you know, uh, a a mummy is kind of the same deal, really. I mean, it is a reanimated corpse, so... I think that it yeah. could be really. I don't think that we've had a scary, a really scary mummy movie yet. No, I've heard that the new one with Tom Cruise is horrifyingly awful. Is what I've heard, but I don't, yeah, I don't think that we've really had like a scary mummy movie. 
I think that the kills that the mummy does in this movie are easily the the coolest part because the way that the mummy chooses yes! to kill the people are ways that mummies are treated in terms of the way that they're preserved and embalmed uh-huh. and stuff. So yeah. like you said, he, he pulls the one guy's brains out through his nose, which is the kind of one of the steps of removing the embalming, organs yeah. from uh yeah. from a a corpse for the embalming process. And then yeah. like Julian Moore, whenever he kills Julian Moore, that that one's brutal because like he cuts her yeah. open and then like stuffs flowers into her yeah, just he open wound flowers in her while she's yeah. still alive. It's like brutal. I thought that was a really that was a really cool kill. I, I like that he's he's doing what he knows. He's like I know what these people did to me. Mm-hmm. Now that's uh, this is interesting because um, there there is a mummy movie that I do really like. It's called The Mummy. And it stars Brendan Fraser. And that's a fun fucking movie. I just, it's a fun I movie. just Love watched that this Rachel year. Weisz, like, it's so good. Yeah. Um, and that starts with a live mummification. Do you think maybe they got the idea for that from this? That could be. Like, I, I don't know enough about mummies. And again, I, I have taught a class on the undead, and I just skipped talking about mummies, really. Like... I talked about it in the intro just to sort of set up the idea of the undead and why people might think like, oh, a corpse might come back to life. Um, but mummies are just boring to me in I like in a real way. I love Egyptology. I love all of that interesting idea of like Egyptian magic and stuff like that. But in movies, it's just rarely played out well. The mummy is the exception. Like that's. It's a real good movie. I like that the kind of conclusion here is that Brendan Fraser sort of hacks the mummy up with an electric carving knife. Oh, Christian Slater. Oh, what did I say? He said Brendan Fraser. Yeah, he said Brendan Fraser. (laughs) (laughs) He was just like, guys, I got this. Don't worry. Encino Man. He swung in like George of the Jungle and took care of business. Yeah. Uh, Monkey Bone. (laughs) Blast from the Past. We're just naming Brendan Fraser titles. I love Blast from the Past so much, dude. Blast from the Past is great, yeah. Um, anyway, so, uh, yeah, so Julian Moore gets killed, and then, uh, Andy basically figures out that Bellingham is doing this, and he, um, (laughs) it's pretty brutal, ties, uh, Bellingham up to a chair, and he's gonna burn him to death? Yeah. Um, and then Bellingham, like, says the spell to bring the mummy back to life, and, uh, Andy just fucking deals with it the exact way you deal with a mummy. Which is, you move slow and there's only one of you, I'll chop you into bits and throw you in the fire. He's pretty calm like, about it. Yeah, he's not bothered by it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the thing, is that, like, that's always gonna be the problem for a mummy, like, unless you do, like they did in The Mummy, where they come back to life, like, full flesh, and they have uh, special, like, magic powers, they're not scary, because one zombie isn't scary. It's disturbing. Uh, it, it will make you question your reality and everything you know if you see a zombie coming at you. But you can take one zombie. The threat comes in the numbers. Yeah. So one mummy, not scary. And this this does really great at like showing that. That it's like, oh, how's a mummy scary? Like a mummy has to sneak up on you, <laughs> otherwise you got it. Yeah, exactly. You can pretty pretty much deal with it. I I found this segment overall like. I don't know, man. And, and now that you point out that it was based on an old-timey story, it, it definitely makes more sense because it feels like a story that was adapted from a Victorian you yeah. know, literature era. 
kind of story because yeah. I, I find it to have a lot of needless character detail. Like, there's a lot of stuff about the characters yeah. that I just don't fucking care about at all. Um, yeah. I don't remember really any of the characters, nor did I feel any sort of sympathy or empathy towards them. So, I don't yeah. I, I don't. I mean, Christian Bale does a great... Uh, fuck me, Christian Bale. Why can't I get <laughs> his name right? <laughs> when Batman showed up, it was pretty sick. Yeah, Batman showed up. Mm-hmm. That would be awesome. See, again, if Brendan Fraser as his character in The Mummy and Christian Bale as Batman showed up and they were like, we'll handle this. This would have been a 10 and out then, of 10. Yeah, absolutely. But otherwise, yeah, it's just slow and not very scary. Yeah, but, the kills are good. The kills are, it's worth watching yeah. for the kills. I'll put it that way. And again, you know, ultimately this is what, maybe 25 minutes or something like that. It's like as long as episode yeah. friends or something, so. I think it's a good setup. I think when you're dealing with an anthology, um, like a lot of anthologies now, which I love, I love ABCs of Death, I love uh, VHS, mm. uh, Southbound was good, like there are a bunch of really great horror anthologies that have come out, but some of them will have a sort of frame tale, and some of them will have a sort of like logic to the way that the the stuff progresses, but mostly it's just short films thrown together. Um, and I think what this does is it sets up like, oh, okay, like, uh, we see like this suburban witch and this cute little kid eating cookies and it seems kind of jokey and the first tale isn't really scary though. Like, uh, it's well done. It's just not scary. So it kind of sets you up to be like, oh, well this isn't gonna be too bad, which it isn't. But I think once we get to the third story, it's like such a surprise what happens. Yeah, it, it eases you in pretty smooth, really, with that first one. Because like you said, it's not really, it's really not that scary or that horrific at all. No. So it kind of makes you think you're yeah. in for a pretty a pretty easy ride. Yeah, and then the second one, um, it starts up kind of jokey, too. I mean, the first thing we see is David Johansson. I'm already like, what? Yeah. Like, why? Like, why is... Why is the lead singer of the New York Dolls uh, starring in this segment? Because, um, you know, I've seen him in other stuff. He's in Scrooge. He's in uh, uh-huh. that yeah. Hulk Hogan movie. He's in that that Hulk Hogan movie. Uh, what else is he in? He's in Scrooge in that Hulk Hogan movie. That's as far as I yeah, understand. Yeah, that's the biggest thing that I know from is the, the taxi driver in Scrooge. Yeah. Yeah, so seeing that immediately, I'm like, oh, well, this isn't going to be very serious. What's the, then, what's the name of the second sequence? Is it the evil cat or something like that? Or cat, cat from Hell. Cat from Hell, okay. Yeah, but um, he arrives at, you know, this huge mansion, and the person who comes out of the mansion is William Hickey. Now, you probably, like, listeners probably would be like, I don't know William Hickey, like, right off the top of your head, but if you hear his voice... You immediately know William Well, Hickey. let's just call him by his real name, Uncle Lewis from National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Yeah, he's Uncle Lewis from National Lampoon. He's from uh, he's from uh, 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 Nightmare Before Christmas. He's the doctor. Yeah, that's right. Um, that's right. Yeah. And so in the short story, he's a guy who has hired this hitman, our New York Dolls fellow there, to, to come to in kill for a, a cat. Yeah, to come in for a job. And at first, the guy thinks he's just in for a job to kill somebody. And then he finds out that it's this cat that lives in the mansion that he's trying to kill. And uh, Uncle Lewis gives this backstory about him living there with his 
It's his sisters, right? He lives with his sister, his sister's friend, and their butler. That's right. Um, and They're rich and wealthy and bored and just basically... Yeah, and he's the head of a pharmaceutical company that uh, sells something called Compound G, which he refers to it as a painkiller tranquilizer and hallucinogen <laughs> in one and that it's for it's for uh it's a heart medicine that yeah you uh, need I don't all know that what, when you got heart problems <clears throat> yeah you know what helps if you got heart problems is just fucking vivid hallucination balls i want i want to be walking around a corner and being like is that shadow a person is it a demon is it perhaps a cat then you go this so, is this is doing my heart so much good yeah, so uh, he he says basically that the pharmaceutical company killed like 5,000 cats. They used cats to test Compound G, mm-hmm. and they killed like 5,000 cats, and he believes this cat is here to get revenge for those 5,000 cats. Because it like made his sister fall down the stairs, and it, it ended up killing the butler some way and killing her sister's friend some other way, so this... Cat's killing all of them, and he wants to. He wants the cat dead before the cat kills him. The cat can kill you in two ways. The cat can kill you by just complete coincidence. Yeah. Like you're in a precarious position, and the cat takes advantage, or it will just attack your face like a face hugger and choke you to death. That can happen. <laughs> that can happen. And you know the the, the thing is, is like we're. We are cat sitting for my neighbors right now. We're not cat people. Oh, yeah. We're we're dog people, but our neighbors are out of town, mm. so I'm going over there every day to you know feed their cat and and brush it and stuff like this. So yeah, made me a little uneasy to see Bella today. I was like, hang on, now, keep your distance now. <laughs> it just showed me his butthole. That's what cats always do. I'm I'm what you call in the cat people dog people world a switch. Look out! I, you want a fence sitters. Uh, uh, I, um, I've always had dogs growing up, but I did have a couple cats. Um, and then I got to know friends' cats and I was just like, yeah, I like cats too. I don't see what the problem is. Why can't you like both? Um, hey, shit in a box I, in the house, Steve. That's true. But you know what you don't have to do is worry about that shit. <laughs> like <laughs> it's in the house in that box. Dogs. If you don't take them out, we'll shit wherever. It's true. It's true. Then you got the landmine scenario out there in the yard. Mm. But I mean, again, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna argue that. Yeah, that is gross. It's real gross. Uh, cats are fine for me. I think it's interesting because I've, uh, I understand that some people not only are just not cat people, but they actively dislike cats. It's true. I wouldn't say that I'm that guy. I, I, yeah. I love an animal. What this segment really has going for it, though, is the direction. Yeah, it's cool. It almost has this like film noir kind of vibe to it, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It's really great. Like you're you're getting the hitman character. He's like this New York tough type. David Johansson is fine. Um, William Hickey. He's like you know he brings him in for this mysterious uh sort of job. It seems almost like a joke, but it turns out to be way more than it is. But you also get these really great uh, shots from the cat's point of view mm-hmm. yeah, that are cool. like they're they're in black and white but like tinged on the edges with purple and it and the cat the cat moves like a cat but like you know 
fast and it, it, it knows what it's doing instead of being yeah. like uh, a cat where it's like you know you have no idea what it's doing this cat obviously has a plan like it's trying to take these people out and the movie is just ba or the segment is basically just him alone uh all night yeah. in the mansion trying to trying to get this cat the cat's kind of outwitting him and he's shooting yeah. directly at it with a laser sight and missing his shots and he says he's never yeah. botched a job and all this stuff so yeah at first he's very skeptical about the whole situation and doesn't believe any of it but just wants to kill this cat and get his money and get the job done and leave but yeah he starts kind of uh becoming a believer i suppose you could say this movie or, or this segment of the movie is so i mean it's pretty it's pretty calm. There's not really necessarily a lot of blood and gore or anything nuts until the cat finally fucking kills the hitman. They kind of have a little cat and mouse game there. And it then, is so fucking awesome. I remember the first time that I watched it, I was like, I cannot fucking believe what mm -hmm. I'm seeing. Because the way the cat kills mm -hmm. him is it literally jumps down his throat. Yeah. It, it climbs into his fucking guts and kills him it's so disturbing dude like as it's happening the, the special effects for that are really great because they obviously made yeah. some prosthetics for his face and stuff of like his his mm -hmm. mouth and his jaw are like distending so that way a cat can fit in there and yeah. man the sounds that he's making and the way he's like They're so gross he's like yeah. choking and grabbing at his neck and kind of doubling over like he's gagging and stuff it's disgusting like it's not only just cool special effects and a unique kill for a movie it's disgusting because you really genuinely yeah. I, I don't know man it, you know you can see all the wet fur from the cat and you imagine the mm -hmm. feel of that going down your throat and this cat clawing down your throat and you gagging on it and stuff it's fucking yeah. disgusting way disturbing way disturbing this is this is like a good this movie is a good example of a director seeing a project almost like a like a fight with the audience where he's like drawing you in and drawing you in and making you feel comfortable and making you feel safe and then he fucking punches you in the mouth yeah suddenly a cat crawls down a man's throat into his guts and kills him. And you see it distend his belly and stuff too. Yeah. Oh god, dude. Yeah. And, and it's long and too. It's a long scene of him getting yeah. you know, of this and cat. And then we see the cat throat. we see the cat come out too, which is great because you can tell that's a real cat coming out of the prosthetic. It's like awesome. there's no way that's a puppet. And you see the cat come out and then uh basically kills William Hickey by him having a heart attack. Which is again like it's so interesting. The cat's ways of killing are uh, just pure coincidence, smothering the shit out of you, or climbing into your guts. Yeah. Like <laughs> he's got a couple of methods of disposal depending on his mood that day. So yeah, like I, it's real good because like the story and this was uh, this one was written by George Romero. The the screenplay was the original short stories by Stephen King. Um, and and it's Dream obvious team. that. Yeah, it's obvious it's coming from two people who know what the fuck they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the direction is great. Again, like, this guy, this is his first movie. He mostly directed television, and he he's he does a great job with this. It actually, 
this is a real good way i would think to move from television directing into a movie where you're basically directing three television episodes yeah totally in so. a short wraparound story that, like, yeah, that segment is i think that segment is really really cool because it it isn't the most action-packed thing in the world you're not going to be at the edge of your seat oh no but then it makes it so much more rewarding whenever that kill happens because it really it yanks the rug out from under your feet really hard because it yeah yeah it'll blow your hair back it's fucking really really cool and then we get into the third segment what's the third segment called third segment's called lover's vow and ben i've had two hallucinatory dreams caused by a fever in my life and both of them involved horror movies the first one involved freddy krueger i talked about it on the nightmare on elm street episode yeah the second one involved this segment no way really yeah i woke i I don't know how to describe this because I felt I felt like I didn't fall asleep but then woke up and when I woke up this story was like all I could think of like I couldn't think of anything and I just kept seeing the gargoyle and seeing everything happening Whoa. and like it was so weird and I, I like was sweating like crazy and this was just stuck in my head and so this story has always been stuck in my head as this like i don't know what like it it doesn't it's not a fright i have i I mean i guess what the fear that's displayed in this is that if you fully reveal yourself to your partner they're going to not only reject you but be so angered by that that they'll reveal themselves to be a monster right um and i've actually had that happen in my life holy shit somewhat yeah but again this this didn't happen before i had the fever dream so this has apparently always been a fear i mean listen i I tried telling you i said look this girl you're seeing have you seen the wings on this bitch and i said ben all the better to fly with i said no 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 that's a gargoyle steve i said steve that's a gargoyle a gargoyle <laughs> no actually um yeah i you know I, I think we've all maybe experienced something like it and we all have this fear of rejection but we also have the biggest fear isn't just that we'll be rejected it's that we will reveal ourselves and be rejected but that also that rejection will go further mm-hmm. like that it will have further consequences like if you say to uh your significant other like you reveal some uh horrible past secret like oh my father raped me or like and again not i don't want to i'm not making light of that 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 is but that's the type of thing i'm thinking of because that's the type of secret he reveals Mm -hmm. like i witnessed a murder and said nothing right um guilty conscience kind of stuff yeah you reveal that and then that person not only um doesn't accept it well but is also like you're dis- like how dare you have that in your past right and, and then you lose everything so like this one definitely has the most de- the most depth of of character and i think you know significance yeah. of any of them for sure yeah and it, it's it comes from a, a japanese tale uh the the original the thing is that this um is a great adaptation by um uh, michael mcdowell the the original japanese tale is more about uh it's something called a snow girl where 
there's this uh, basically ethereal, beautiful, delicate girl who appears to a person and, you know, the, a man and the man, you know, falls in love with her. And she's like, I will be with you, but, you know, you can never ask about this or that or you can never tell this or that. And then the person always does. And then the person, the snow girl melts or like disappears or whatever. Oh, that's cool. Uh, and, and that's the idea is that the, the person you're with, again, is going to be so delicate that they can't accept uh, the truth of who you are. So there's there is a ton of death to this that it's like we went from interesting, fun, poppy. It's Debbie Harry and cute little Matthew Lawrence and some cookies and tails to now we're talking about like real deep issue shit. So like, I think this is just a great uh, demonstration of of this production all coming together to to create this tale that lulls you into a sense of security and then like really just undermines everything at your core. It's I'm really glad good. that they put this as the third one. I feel like if they would have put this yeah, first or second it wouldn't and have worked. followed this up with one of the other ones, it, it yeah, it definitely would not have worked. It would have been a real letdown because none of those other two stories could follow could follow this one up. The mm-hmm. yeah, basically uh, you know, uh a guy that's having trouble in his career witnesses a, a murder in an alleyway by this fucking gargoyle. This I keep yeah. saying gargoyle. I think that's funny. My, gargoyle. It is fun. I want argyle socks with gargoyles on them. <laughs> Get to it, listeners. Argyle gargoyle is a band that mm-hmm. I should start. <laughs> oh man, God, I can imagine. Okay, argyle gargoyle. I mean, we're we're coming back around to the '90s, Ben. Like, look, fashion. Look at politics. Look yeah. at everything that's coming around. Argyle Gargoyle sounds like a '90s alternative band. <laughs> like, maybe, maybe we're like, a, maybe we're like a heavy ska band. Oh man, there we go. <laughs> Get David Wait. Johansson in to produce. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this guy witnesses this gargoyle kill this guy. And then the gargoyle yeah. is like, "You cannot say anything about me. You will never mention me. You'll never say you saw me." nothing you didn't see shit i love this setup because that's exactly what it is like you didn't see shit you didn't see nothing and it's like uh, like the gargoyle doesn't talk like that in fact the gargoyle talks like splinter from the first teenage mutant ninja turtles movie like it it sounds like the same voice oh shit it does the gargoyle also makes a funny yeah yeah (laughs) do you remember when he promises and the gargoyle says Cross of your heart, and then scratches his heart, and that's then a, disappears. That's an old gargoyle joke. It's kind of played out. Yeah. Now, okay. I want this is. I just want to bore everybody or make somebody go. That's interesting. Uh, a gargoyle. When we're talking about architectural features, gargoyles have an interesting past. One of them is that predominantly the gargoyle in older churches and uh, more even more like uh noticeably in ireland and england older churches the gargoyle was a vagina it wasn't yeah it was just a straight vagina it's called a sheelana gig in uh ireland and england they also existed in northern Spain and southern France. Oh in northern my. Spain and southern France, they're more, even more obviously just vaginas. Like, that's all they are. And a gargoyle as an architectural feature 
actually doesn't describe what we think of as a gargoyle quite as much because they were supposed to represent these sort of, I mean, later they became these sort of ugly heads that were supposed to represent vaginas, but they're also supposed to drain water from the, the, um, uh, what are those called? Like a basin gutters. system? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, the gutters, the gutters of the roof, like the drain is supposed to be the gargoyle head. Mm -hmm. So when we think of like the statuesque sort of gargoyle, those are actually called grotesques. Um... It makes but me really rethink the animated Gargoyles series. Yes! <laughs> if they were actually all just vaginas instead. They're vaginas, yeah. Like, that's what it's supposed to represent. It's supposed to scare uh, uh, things away. Uh, like, the older, like, that that would have meant, like, at, at a certain point in Christianity's development in uh, Western Europe, the vagina was considered a powerful thing. Sure. Like a vulva was powerful. It scared the demons away. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> as it as it became more and more dominated by the church in Rome, it became more and more patriarchal, and a vagina became a scary demon face. These sons <laughs> that, of bitches. Yeah. And, and that's really interesting to me. Like... <laughs> I did not know that was the evolution of of the of the gargoyle and what we think of. Yeah, uh, and and I'm not gonna be one of those assholes who's like, oh, it, it's Frankenstein's monster, not Frankenstein. I'm not gonna say this is a grotesque, not a gargoyle. No, we call that a gargoyle <laughs> now. We call Frankenstein's monster Frankenstein now. And, and let's just be honest, Frankenstein created him. What the fuck is his last name gonna be? Yeah, it's Frankenstein. And he didn't give him first name, so his goddamn name is Frankenstein. Just because Mary Shelley only called him Creature doesn't mean I have to stick to your get off my lawn, I'm an old person, I only stick to the oldest thing I know uh, type of yeah. weird ideas. Yeah, leave us alone, Mom. God damn it. Bill <laughs> Gates Jr., get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting. I did not know about all that stuff. Yeah, I I think, um, though, the what what we see here this is just a perfect encapsulation of what a gargoyle would be if it was alive it looks like so it's, badass it's like it's so good and, and lizard like yeah. and it has these huge leathery wings slimy looking the first shot with like the street light behind it so you can't really see it entirely but yeah. it's just like you see it's it's mat it's big it's got this huge wingspan and it actually kind of looks like that uh first shot of the pazuzu statue in the exorcist yeah where very the much sun so is coming up behind it yeah and basically this guy kind of you know it, it, that night that he meets the gargoyle and stuff he also meets this girl and he tries to save her and they end Radon up on chong who's that Radon chong that's uh the girl she's great she's oh. uh very pretty now basically he ends up hooking up with uh hooking up with her and they end up actually starting a a long and meaning, meaningful relationship, but he's haunted yeah. by this secret that he has to keep that this gargoyle told him to never talk about and stuff. And basically, they have kids together and stuff. And then one day, I guess he thinks that the smoke has cleared. He's like, wow, I've made it this far away from the actual incident and stuff. It's probably safe yeah. to talk about this thing that's been haunting me forever. And he shows her this statue that he made, because he, he's an artist. He shows her the statue yeah. that he made of the gargoyle. And he's like, I saw this thing that night. And, you know, her expression as she's telling this stuff is just this like, oh, no, like, no, you shouldn't be telling me this stuff. And then that's exactly what she says. She's like, you weren't supposed to tell anybody 
And you can, yeah. you know, she, you can tell she's like super upset about it. And then, man, we get this transformation scene. Yeah, it's like the howling, like, like brutal, like ripping out of the skin. Oh man, um, just her hands, Arm- like her, you know, the gargoyle hands, like blowing yeah. up out of her hands and stuff. Incredible practical special effects for that for that transformation scene. Again, it's totally worth watching just to see yeah. that transformation scene. It's fucking amazing. There's that one shot in there. I can't remember what it is, but I can't remember what her dialogue is, but it's like a shot of just her head and she looks yeah. totally normal, just like she has the whole movie and she's like, I begged you not to to say a word about it or whatever. And then she just yeah. like pulls her own scalp off. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing, dude. So this ending is super bleak. And the kids turn into gargoyles. Now that scene where he, you know, she's changing and stuff, and he's like, but what about the kids? And then he looks over at the doorway, and there's the two little kid gargoyles, and they're like, hey, we're gargoyles too, I guess. Oh, also, by the way, we're gargoyles. But they're like kind of small. Dude, they're like kind of small and like kind of cute, uh-huh. but they're still kind of scary looking. It's yeah. it, it kind of did make me laugh a little bit. They did seem a little cuz they're not really that terrifying looking. No, they 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 aren't. They they look like if somebody made sympathetic gremlins. Like yeah. it's just like yeah, you fed us after midnight. Now we look horrendous. <laughs> and I love too that you know at the end there she likes, you know, the she as the gargoyle like scoops the kids up and and flies away through the uh, uh, through the skylight there. I want there to be yeah. like a sitcom about this family of this single uh-huh. mom gargoyle and her two kids raising them in the big city and stuff. Uh, you know what? Oh, how about this? Instead of raising them in the big city, she goes back to small town America. Oh. And and a lot there's a lot of conflict there. Are they going to accept her as a gargoyle? Also, a working woman in the 80s? Oh, wait, this is the 90s. She went off to the big city, got herself turned into one of them gargoyles. Hmm. <laughs> That's what happens to you. They I give you the AIDS that. and you turn into a gargoyle. <laughs> like I, I really just want to see that spin off into its own, into its own yeah. series. I think that would be a lot of fun. What about my two gargoyles? Oh, <laughs> be adorable. Yeah. And so I then, basically, at the end of that story, there we go back to our, our framing device where the kid, uh, young young Joey Lawrence, let's just call him Joey Lawrence, <laughs> he tricks the woman into falling back on those needles, and he breaks off or breaks out of his cage there and shoves breaks her into the oven. Breaks off a piece oven. of that Kit Kat bar. Also, very envious of the depth of that oven that Debbie Harry has. That is an oven that you could well you <clears> could line up two pizzas, not stacked vertically, but back to back in that thing. You know, if you want that type of oven, Ben, you have to say, and, and you have to whisper it over the phone, I'm looking for an oven to cook a kid. Oh, do you, can you get that from, like, Sears and Roebuck? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, Sears. Absolutely. And then the very last shot of the movie is that kind of breaking the fourth wall thing where he he looks at the camera and he eats a cookie and what the, what the fuck does he say? I, uh, he says, I love a happy ending, which is... Uh, it's good. Like, I mean, that's a, it's a good little like staying at the end. Cause it's like, um, you know, we wanted to see the witch die. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we wanted to see her get her comeuppance and that's exactly what we got. And all right. A little kid didn't die. Yay. Oh, he wanted to live deliciously. Now 
I will tell you, as uh, not one of the people who eat children in Hollywood, that uh, that child will be haunted for the rest of his life, and we will catch him. I mean, they will catch him. <laughs> so overall, about this about this entire movie going experience, I'm I'm gonna break this down a little bit here. Usually, we rate these movies on a scale of of a yeah. one to ten kind of thing, but I kind of want to rate each individual segment and then just yeah, give an overall for the movie so let's kind of let's kind of break this up here so the the mummy segment mm-hmm. of the movie what do you rate that on a one to ten um it's um good little piece of storytelling so well acted etc it, it's not scary Mm-mm. um it uh the uh, i think maybe what they're going for was that bellingham is this old soul and so that's why he seems out of like out of time out of place mm-hmm so that's fine with me. I think in the end, though, like, because our ratings are generally based on on how well it's done as a horror movie, and this is not this is not scary. Um, I like the camp. I like the humor. I would give this uh, a five. Um, you know what? I I think really it's pretty boring overall, and yeah. Something that kind of strikes me about it too is like it doesn't look like a horror movie at all. Like if you just if you paused it on any scene that didn't have the mummy in it, you would not guess this is from a horror movie. Like it just doesn't it no. doesn't look or feel like a horror flick to me. The the kills, like I said earlier, are the reason to watch it. The kills are cool, especially because yeah. they are like you know embalming themed, which I think is pretty cool. But I didn't really care about the characters, even though there were some good performances in there. From Brendan Fraser and Christian Bale and Steve Buscemi. Oh, they were really good. Yeah, <laughs> I think I'm probably gonna have to give this like a three out of ten. I, I wasn't too enthused about it. Yeah, that makes sense. Actually, yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and amend that because I realized I gave Killer Clowns less than a five. Let me give it a four. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. What are you thinking about yeah. the second feature here, the uh, Cat from Hell? Okay, so I um, uh, I love it. It's unique. I I love a lot about it. I love William Hickey. David Johansson's not the best actor. I could imagine a million New York guys that would have played a better uh, hitman. Give me a Gandolfini or somebody like that. Yeah, anybody that that would have, I don't know, that would have come off more as a guy who would say, nobody hits me twice. Mm-hmm. Like when he says it, it sounds like, I don't even know what that means yeah, when yeah. you say it. Nobody hits you twice? Why? Because they hit you three times? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> it's always more yeah. than two. Yeah, I want somebody more intimidating, not just somebody with the voice. Um, but, and also, I, I feel like um, they severely underused Mark Margolis, uh, who played the butler. He mm. doesn't say a word. Um, he appears to be bored to be in the movie. Uh, and he's amazing. He plays uh, Tio Salamanca uh, on uh, Breaking Bad. He's the guy in the wheelchair. God um, damn it. Really? That is yeah. him? Yeah, it's a waste. And, and this isn't a time when he was a little-known actor. He'd been in Scarface. He'd been in other stuff. So I I don't know why they wouldn't have used him more liberally or why they would even... I guess maybe he just needed a paycheck. I don't know. Um but I love the transitions from flashback into the present. Mm-hmm. I love the I love a lot of the shots and I love the cat eye stuff. Uh I think I think this is a pretty solid like five and a half, six. Maybe. Yeah. 
I feel you, man. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. I, I like this one because it is unique, because it does have this weird kind of 1940s film noir kind of thing going on at times. Um, it's a little stilted for sure, you know, but there's just this general weirdness about it, especially with Uncle Lewis in there. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's unique feeling to me. That's what I like about this segment is it does feel unique. And that cat kill uh, is the, the best. It's the sickest. So good. <laughs> like that to me is one of the most memorable deaths in a horror wow. movie, period. I can't really... Mm compare that to anything and it's very very well done it would have been very easy for them to do a really cheesy effect on that but the effect that they use with the prosthetics and stuff and like i said him choking and all that stuff man it is just gruesome and you can connect to it like you know that's one of those things that that the most gruesome deaths in horror movies and stuff are the ones that you can kind of relate to yes the ones you can relate to are the worst and seeing this guy choking to death on a living animal Ugh. It's fucked up. So to me, like that kill alone in the cool film noir kind of tones that it has, I think that elevates it to probably about a probably about a six for me. Six, six and a half. I when I think of Lover's Vow and I think of what people might think are the flaws of it. The major flaw is the gargoyle looks great, but when it talks, it doesn't really match up. Yeah, it's a little corny. Um, yeah, a little corny. The thing I would think most people would think is a flaw is why does the gargoyle kill one guy and not kill the other? But I think if you pay attention to the opening shot, you see that the gargoyle is actually positioned over the skylight for the artist's apartment and the gargoyle is watching over the artist. So it's like the gargoyle fell in love with the artist Oh, by watching. So hmm, th that's cool. This is, I didn't think about that. You're right. You're right. Yeah. The, the kill of the bartender is just to establish a secret between them and produce this, you know, possibility. Because maybe that's, maybe, like, that's the rule of gargoyles in this, is that they have to have a secret with somebody for them to become human. Hmm. I, I mean, you know, whatever. That's fine. I mean, n nobody's going to be like, not my gargoyles. <laughs> Hashtag not all gargoyles. Yeah, there's not, there's not, like, an established, uh reasoning behind the way gargoyles work so uh that's fine it works um the the ending where you said like what about the kids that's pretty weird like why would he just say that yeah <laughs> <That's> stupid <laughs> but it is cool that the kids turn into gargoyles um it it seems to me as um as a husband as a person who has a wife and my wife is also my best friend. That's not just some trite bullshit. I'm saying she really is like, she's the only person I hang out with on a regular occasion. And I, uh, uh reveal all of my secrets to well, her. Blah, I blah, guess, blah. I guess I know where I stand now, Steve. Fuck me. I guess. Ben, we're trying to keep it on the DL. Remember? Oh, Steve. God. I'll edit all this. Right. I'll edit this out. I love you. Okay. Okay. I'll edit this out too. Um, Ben, <laughs> I, you're my only friend. I don't even <laughs> like her. Save me. <laughs> Send um, help. But yeah, like my my wife is my best friend. I tell her everything. I can see why. I can see the motivation. Like, the, I, I actually don't even know why it would take him as long as it did to finally reveal it. Honestly, like, mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't know that I could wait until we had like a couple of kids that, that like they looked about eight to 10 years old. Um, 
I, I don't know I could hold off that long. So like I see it as all believable. I see it as a well-written story. And I, I, and I really do think, as I said, that it, for me, at least it does work on a real, like genuine fear that I have. And, and something that's really scary to me is the idea of opening yourself up and then, and then not only losing everything, but also like finding out the person you've invested all this love into is also a monster. So, right. Um, I, I think it's well done. At the same time, like I, I'm not gonna put it up there with uh, Hellraiser or anything like that. So I, th- I think a cap for this for me is it's a it's a seven and a half. Yeah, I feel you, and, and I'm with you. I like this segment a lot. It definitely has the most depth of anything in um, in Tales from the Dark Side here. And like you said, I, I do like that reveal that you know after he shares his secret, you know she becomes a monster to him and, and that's kind of like a mirrored sort of reaction where you know he he basically became a monster to her when he revealed that stuff um, yeah I, I like that yeah, because, yeah. i like that about it yeah and that's that's exactly what i'm saying is i think it does establish that as a rule mm-hmm. is that she can no longer be human now because he's revealed the secret exactly like he can't put the cork back in the bottle so yeah it, anyway yeah can't put that toothpaste back in the tube nope um, so I do like it, and again, the special effects, especially for the transformation scene, are just ridiculously fucking cool, man. Awesome. Oh yeah. man, it's so good. Yeah. They look so in the sound design and stuff, all the nasty, crunchy, squelching sounds. Mm-hmm. Are, Ugh, and are the really cracking, cool. just the bone. Ugh. And this has some good performances in it too. It, it does have some superfluous characters and stuff throughout it, but you know, pretty much all, yeah. pretty much all the stories in here do. Um, but overall, I like it for its depth and the the kind of metaphor and the special effects. So I think I'm gonna I, I would throw this in a six and a half. I think it's still not like unbelievable, but it's cool. Wait, it's not. Oh, unbelievable! unbelievable. <laughs> so overall, heard... what what is your rating overall for this entire package? Um. Okay. Uh. I I think that sometime the the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Agreed. Sometimes it's not. This director, I think, as I've said a number of times throughout, I think what he did was he took the three stories that were chosen by the production company and he made them work together in a way where he can lull you in and then really like, like just tug at the core of you. If it is a fear that you have that someone can get deep with inside of you and then, you know, uh, destroy you, <laughs> um, which is, you know, what the cat kill leads into and what happens in in Lover's Vow. Um, if that's a fear you have, like this, this is an, a very this is a very effective way of doing that. It's not the best movie at times and at times some of the performances despite the fact that you know that these are good actors are a little lacking yeah um i i would say that this movie for me is a six i'm right there with you man i think this is a six as well it's it's a fun watch it's one of those great ones to have on you know it's one of those movies that i would rank as one of those ones that's great to have on like during a halloween party or something like that where you know yeah you, every time you leave the room to go get a drink or something and come back, there's a different segment playing and 
It's just fun. I like anthology flicks. I do. I really do. Yeah, that's actually a, a real good point about anthology flicks is that they're real good to have on at a at a Halloween party or any party, honestly. But yeah, like, totally. So because you can drop in and out. Like you can come in and watch, you know, ten minutes and be like, oh, okay, like that was great, and then move yeah, on, and then leave, and then come back and watch another one or something like that. So I I do like that about it very very much. It's just fun. It's easy to watch. It's a pretty short flick. It doesn't. It doesn't overstay its welcome or anything like that. Um, it has some levity to it. Great special effects overall. Every story does have some padding in it that I do find a little bit a little bit unnecessary, but it's a fun time overall. I, I'm with you. I think I would rate this. Uh, I think I'd rate this a six out of ten. Way to go! So next time on our show, we are going to be covering. A, uh, a movie that I watched for the first time probably about eight or nine months ago that that just Ugh. disturbed me so mm-hmm. fucking deeply because it is one of the most grimy, depraved, just warped horror movies I think that I have genuinely ever seen. It is just one of the most fucked up movies that I have ever watched. It's Maniac from 1980. Not the remake, the original one uh, with old Joe Spinell's. Uh, yeah. I <laughs> I recently watched this on your recommendation. Yeah. And um, I will be posting our text exchange because this movie fucked with me yes. in a way that no movie's fucked with me in a long time. Yeah. It is... It is jacked. Like, I genuinely feel like a serial killer made a movie. Not that this is a movie about a serial killer. I feel like you gave a lunatic a movie budget and a camera and said, go make the movie that you would want to see, Jeffrey Dahmer or whoever. And they filmed this. It's warped. I think this movie is a fucking masterpiece. One of the unsung heroes of all horror. Yes. Yeah, I can't disagree with you, and I'm excited to talk about it. So. I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm looking forward to watch it again, watching it again, but I'm not looking not. forward to watching it again. Yeah, because it's yeah. like, that's yeah. that's just a dark, dark, terrible place that... It I, made me feel gross. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it will again, so... Yeah. Yeah. I'll look forward to covering that on the show with you there next week. In the meantime, where can they find us on them internets? Well, you can always find us at Dead Lovely Pod on Instagram or Twitter. Instagram predominantly, but uh, we got some tweets. We'll tweet we at you. Them we'll tweets. come at you tweeting. Um, we also have a Facebook group, which is growing by the day. Would love to see some female listeners. Oh, it's just a, it's just a boy <laughs> show over it's, here. Yeah, and I, I gosh, I, I hope that we're presenting some material that... Uh, 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 women would would like to hear if not uh you can always email us at dead and lovely pod at gmail.com and tell us what we're doing wrong what we're doing right or what we should do there you go that's a that's a good way to do it you guys can find me on the instagram and twitter at ben eller guitar is all one word where can they find you steve uh i'm at steven spratling that's steven with a v the only way to spell it mm. and i'm not gonna spell spratling for you you can figure it out fuck you well, in the meantime, please be sure to go on iTunes, rate, and review our podcast. It helps us a whole ton, even if it's just a one-word review that says "sick" with like ten eyes and a five-star. Yeah. yeah, that that will help us out 
mm-hmm. a whole bunch. So please be sure to do that. So be sure to stay tuned for our next episode where we'll be covering Maniac, and we will see you guys then. In the meantime, you guys have been wonderful, and we've been dead and lovely. Goodbye, y'all. Bye-bye.